0: Hello, I'm Dr. Mark Hyman. Welcome to The Doctor's Pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a a place for conversations that matter. And today we have a great conversation with a very good friend of mine, Dr. Michael Roizen, who I've known for quite a long time. I'm gonna give you his bio in a minute, but Mike and I first uh, really got close when we were tramping around Washington trying to get health reform done so we would pay for lifestyle treatment for chronic disease. And and, and you even <laughs> forgot your license
1: one day to get in I all did. those buildings. I did. I and somehow it. was still able to get in. That's right. It was right. an amazing time. Well,
0: actually you were a key part of that because I, I forgot I was in a rush to go see the secretary of state who was helping us get, you know, in the right meetings in Washington with the head of the health committees and the Senate and Congress and the health and human services. And, uh, and I, I, managed to finagle my way on the plane, but I had no money when I got to Washington. you I met you in the airport and you gave me a hundred bucks and I, I put it back in an envelope after I sent it back to you. So thank you for that. So Mike and I go way back and he's been the chief wellness officer at Cleveland Clinic. He was the first chief wellness officer uh, of any major academic medical center, any medical center for that matter, uh, and was really a pioneer in thinking about how we change health care and how we change health. Uh, his work really is focused around aging and health, healthy aging. Uh, his book, real age was a massive bestseller. Uh, he's uh, Partnered with Sharecare and is doing great work around that. I think you've had like I don't know forty million people fill out the Real Age questionnaire or something like that. It's it's actually sixty six. Okay, I can't keep up. <laughs> I cannot keep up. Now Mike is seventy two years young and he looks like he's about twelve, which I don't even know how he does it. But I want to take what he's doing. And taking. you too.
1: You look very young. <laughs> I'm
0: doing okay. Uh, he's a smart dude. He went to Williams College, uh, UCSF School of Medicine, the residency at Harvard. He's uh, worked with Nobel Prize winners at the National Institute of Health. He's uh, Board certified in internal medicine, anesthesiology, in and uh, really an extraordinary guy who's, I think, publishes more books than I do, which I don't even know how he does that, but somehow he does. He's had four number one New York Times bestsellers, nine overall top 10 bestsellers. Uh, really a great man. And he's the one who helped me come to Cleveland Clinic. He invited me to come here to try to bring a different way of thinking and uh, replace him because he was trying to go and, on. And thank you for coming. <laughs> and I came. It was really a, a breakthrough. I uh, really, uh, Mike has been a key part of the advancement of what we're doing here in functional medicine so mike welcome to the doctor's pharmacy it's great to be here
1: thank you it's always great to be on with you
0: yeah well I, I remember first being on shows with you with dr. Oz when you well, before that was the dr. Oz show there was the radio show which you and he did and I remember being in that studio right. and it was the, actually o- fun. the
1: Oprah radio at that time that's
0: right and and the producer Robin Burson is a now a good friend of mine she was a uh, just an undergraduate and then she went to medical school at Columbia and she invited me to speak on functional medicine there and now she started a whole company to bring functional medicine to Millennials which is pretty awesome so it's, it's all goes around so um, Mike you you know, you wrote a new book called What to Eat When, which is not
1: just about what we eat, but when we eat. And Right. So most of the books that have come out are about what we eat, and that's important. But what we started doing was asking people when they eat. And as you know, nighttime eating is common. Yes. But that's a real problem. And when we got delved into the science, and it's really new science, yeah. we found out that circadian rhythms you know your metabolism goes up and down as the day goes through and it the, your metabolism is highest in the morning and lowest in the evening so if you've got a normal blood sugar in the morning by the end of the day you're pre-diabetic yeah and so you in fact produce fat when you eat at the end of the day yeah so what we learned from this new science was that when you eat is really important and you want to eat when the sun is out so if oh. you need a light bulb like these lights to eat, you shouldn't be doing it. There you go. Well, that's
0: fascinating, it's fascinating because it's such a controversial area. I remember when I was at Canyon Ranch, we were advising people not to eat late at night. And we found that these studies that showed that if you ate 2,000 calories throughout the day, you actually burn more calories and didn't gain weight. Whereas if you ate
1: them all at dinner, you would actually gain weight, same calories. Right. So, and, in fact, there's been a great study from Spain where they took people who were trying to lose weight, women who were trying to lose weight, and they had them eat before 3 p.m., their biggest meal. You know, Spain, the biggest meal is at lunchtime. So they ate their biggest meal before 3 p.m. or after 3 p.m. Yeah. The group that ate before 3 p.m. lost 25 percent more pounds wow. over the 16 weeks. 25 percent more. Huge difference. So here's the, here's a question. You know, we, we hear now a lot about
0: time restricted eating, intermittent fasting, fasting making diets. Uh, cuz that sounds like basically like skip breakfast, right? And and what you're saying is that may not be right or Well, the meal you want
1: to skip is dinner. Ah. So, in fact, all, and and in fact, one of the th- parts of the plan is cook at dinner but eat it in the morning. So, in fact, we don't want you to s- spend extra time cooking in the morning, so a lot of things should be cooked in the evening. I have dinner for breakfast? Have dinner for breakfast <laughs> and breakfast for dinner, if you will. But how do you reconcile so, that with the whole intermittent fasting thing? Well, in fact, you want to eat, you know, time-restricted period. So 10 a.m. is when I have breakfast, and then I have my biggest meal around 1.30, and then very little salad at 6.30. Hmm. So it's changed My way of eating, you know, it used to be, I mean, this is, is, you know, can I tell you something without anyone hearing it? um, Uh, (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So my wife used to get these great raisin cinnamon breads oh, at my. one of the local bakeries, right? <laughs> and I, when she brought it home, you know, she'd come home at, at seven with a, the with a bread. I would go through the entire, I would eat the entire loaf oh. by the time, I mean, you know, whatever. As snack. Is, right, As my late evening midnight snack. And so she would have to hide it well now she doesn't have to do it she can bring it home and i don't even feel hungry for it yeah so in fact it, it really when you st- once you change it changes your hunger pattern too so can you talk
0: more about the research behind this because this thing is uh, you know i think we we know that that you know if you eat before bed your metabolism slows down you gain weight and all the hormones are different right so what what have you learned recently about this emerging science that's sort of teaches us that we should be, you know, not eating late. So
1: there's a whole raft of science and some of it is, you know, in animals, mice, that eat during their active period as opposed to just before their inactive period they lose weight compared to it fruit flies they fly better they don't develop heart. fruit flies are actually the best model of heart disease we have really? for humans that you was a the surprise too well in fact have there are, pe- there are people <laughs> who do this full-time obviously and it turns out If you eat more just before your sleep period, the fruit flies, if they eat 24 hours a day, for example, they develop heart failure. Whereas the ones who eat in the beginning of their active period, for us, 10 a.m., they don't. They end up living 30% longer. So it is a form of intermittent fasting, if you will. Mm. So we have some rules, if you will. What are the rules? One one is eat only when the sun is up eat more early less later i already talked about breakfast for dinner and and dinner for breakfast stop stereotyping foods yeah so my favorite breakfast food now is salmon burgers with some sweet potatoes and broccoli which really go. i love it and so you know so you know and i'm i usually have a salad with a little salmon on it for dinner but that's really i i've changed the way i've eaten so and what um, has that done to you i you know this is this is I was actually thinking about that this morning um, I have more energy I have the energy of someone who's 30 years younger I know now, it's <laughs> <terrible>. <laughs> to chase him down the hall <laughs> but it is true but but it is it is you get more energy and you feel you know it's like a new life a new lease on life you feel really energized it's, it really to me it would, I was a skeptic going into this I thought uh, what the heck I'm just gonna uh, if you will ruin my schedule, you mm. know, by eating more in the morning and not skipping. Ba- I used mm-hmm. to skip breakfast, mm-hmm. you know, and would eat lunch and then dinner as an intermittent fast, if you will. Yeah. Um, and ke- if you will, get ketogenic. Well, this gets you ketogenic without having to sacrifice anything, you know, by eating, if you will, more in the morning and less in the evening. You, you, When you eat in alignment with your metabolism, you gain that, tremendous advantage it's like you cracked the code yeah. for health and weight loss so why 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 does the this work in terms
0: of your metabolism why is it sh- sort of better to eat in the morning what hor- well, what is happening from your circadian what, rhythm? And what your, what your happens hormones? is
1: you become insulin resistant during the day. So insulin, I, I, for 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 those listening um, who aren't docs, insulin is like a postman or the FedEx delivery man who takes glucose from your blood and puts it into your cells. Yeah. If you have more glucose staying in your blood, which is what happens when you eat at night. You turn it into triglycerides, that's fat, but you also denature your proteins, or or if you will, stick a glucose on your protein. So hemoglobin A1C, which we measure for diabetes, is just a hemoglobin with a sugar in the A1C position which is and very inflammatory very inflammatory and if you will it's so it does it with a lot of proteins like the proteins that are the grout proteins holding endothelial cells holding your blood cells together in your blood vessel your artery cells so if you weaken those when blood pressure comes down you get small tears yeah. that's when you put in the ldl cholesterol and get atherosclerosis mm-hmm. so it's really you know You've pointed out in a number of your books that insulin is a major the factor. <laughs> and, and you really um, taught me that way back when, yeah. when you were at Canyon Ranch, yeah. um, if you will. So, in fact, when you look at that, it is we become insulin resistant we change our insulin it's as though there's a clock hanging off your liver so mm. think of a clock on your liver mm-hmm. and when that when that clock hits whatever it is 7 or 8 p.m. it says Come on in. I'm going to make triglycerides, mm-hmm. and when it doesn't, it says go into the muscle cells, go into the brain cells, be productive. Mm. So it's, I, I look and I look. I, my my image. I have two images. I think of one is a light bulb. If you if you're eating and you have to eat by a light bulb, you shouldn't be eating. And the second one that is makes it hard in the winter. You have to eat like before four o'clock. <laughs> well, only if you're in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> if you're at the equator, you can eat later. Right. <laughs> right. And and um, but, I'm, yeah, if you're if you're in Alaska, real problem. But anyway, um, but... Pretty much just starve all winter. <laughs> <laughs> like the bears do. So they, they, they may do it right. But in any case, and the second image is of a clock hanging off the liver because your insulin levels and your insulin resistance changes as the day goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really that's really the, the the science in the book. In addition to, we found a lot of things out about what you eat for um, certain situations, like yeah. right? What should you eat on a first date? Oh. Um, and what should you eat? Now, you don't have to go on no any beans. first dates, right? <laughs> <laughs> and no little things that stick in your teeth, no right? No chia seeds. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, 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 so the book is filled with 30 scenarios like that. But the real basis, the real plan... Is how do you switch from eating at night to eating in the morning, so that you can, in fact, eating while the sun is out, eating less early, more less later, more early, and in fact, um, not stereotyping food. So you don't have to clean out your pantry. You can change by what's in your pantry now. So,
0: in terms of the whole intermittent fasting craze, because it's a big craze now, everybody's doing it, talking about it. A lot of science about how it actually helps reverse a lot of the aging phenomena, um, helps with weight loss. And, and uh, could this be done within that framework? In other words, could oh, you? Oh, it's got to be
1: done within... The, I think it should be done within that framework.
0: So that you could have like a late breakfast, early dinner, and still be in the intermittent fasting. So you give your body 12 to 16 hours
1: to not eat? Yeah, you want 14 or 15 or 16 hours that you're not eating. That's right. So it's a good thing. Walter Longo, you yeah. had him on, the, on your... Pharmacy, if you will. I'm um, going to. I actually, I, I haven't had him yet. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, he, I had him um, scheduled. But he he did a lot of these studies on intermittent fasting, mm. in periodic intermittent yeah. fasting, fasting mimicking diet. He calls it right, but it really is calorie restricted five days a yes. month. Yes, and so he really did those studies accidentally. But there are a lot of people who've looked at time different studies. Mm-hmm. Um and shown that that again, um, whether it is the Spanish study, there's a study you know, I don't know how um the people at the Peter Brent Brigham get people to go and not Look at a clock or TV, if you will, just Netflix for twenty days, and they feed them. But they get them in a, if you will, they get a group of people who who <laughs> a will a metabolic ward. Yeah, who will eat whenever they tell them to eat. Yeah. and again, they showed that the people ate the same calories. If you eat seventy percent of your calories for breakfast versus seventy percent for dinner, you lose weight when you eat them for breakfast, yeah. and yeah. you gain weight when dinner. Who would do that? And and it doesn't depend on you know. It is the chronobiology. So right. So it's the just, whole idea
0: of calories is all being the same doesn't really work. And even when you eat the
1: calories, <laughs> matters more. Almost sounds like. Well, when you eat them, really matters, and we were really you know. I, we were really surprised and so we road tested it with a bunch of people you know you know the publisher and the editor are pretty stiff critics and they rarely read the editors will read the book for you know grammar et cetera, and flow but they actually went on the diet and lost think, weight you know and so so uh, we've got friends at National Geographic's who are much thinner now That's but, good.
0: <laughs> now the whole issue of rhythm is what you're talking about because in biology, most of us and doctors ignore rhythm. And yet we know that people who have sleep cycles that are disrupted through various kinds of night shift work are much higher risk of heart disease and death. We know that that a lot of your hormones and biology is driven on a biological clock. And yet with a light bulb and with the advent of screens and with our kind of 24-7 life and being engaged, we don't actually live in a rhythmic way anymore. We don't wake up with the sun and go to bed with the sun. We don't eat in a rhythmic way. And that's what you're talking about is getting back to a certain rhythm that is essential for health.
1: Right. You got a little place in your brain, 20,000 neurons out of whatever it is, 10 trillion or 1 trillion neurons in your brain. I don't even know, but it's a lot of neurons. Brain counting? What? Haven't counting, but there are only twenty thousand of them that do the rhythm, that do the chronobiology, and that really make a and that really makes a difference to sleep. Yeah, it really makes a difference to health, and it, and we were surprised it makes a difference to your metabolic rate and whether you develop heart disease, whether you develop obesity or what you call diabesity. Yeah. is really. Um, we get diabetic, if you will, at least pre diabetic, as the day goes on. Yeah. Um, so you think, I don't want to be a diabetic, don't eat at night.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. So, what does what a perfect day look like in terms of an eating plan?
1: So, you know, I the, the perfect day is probably um, close to what Dr. Croupain does, who um, is the co author on this. Mike Croupain, who worked at uh, Consumer Report. Uh, was their food guy for uh, a number of years and now is the, the medical guy, the chief of medical staff at the Dr. Oz show, um, he really embodies this. So if you will, he will cook, it. he's a foodie. So he loves food and he cooks at night. So he will often have for breakfast, and he has it at 10 a.m., much like I do, his avocado toast. So you like avocado toast, it's whole wheat bread, 100% whole grain, and avocado. And then he'll eat his biggest meal and he'll cook something special for lunch at dinner. Uh-huh. But he's he's developed a whole group of recipes are going to be on our website, winway.com. He's developed a whole group of recipes where you cook at night and and just can eat in the daytime without even re-thermalizing, without even reheating. Um but so he, he does that, and so it's salmon, and I'm not sure uh, I like cold salmon burgers. <laughs> <laughs> they're really good, until you try them, don't knock it. <laughs> but in fact, salmon burger, but he doesn't eat, see, he, he cooks a uh, walnut-crusted salmon or a pecan-crusted salmon at lunch, and then he'll eat almost nothing. He'll have just a little salad um, mm. and some wine at dinner so he, he loves wine but that's his dinner you know a glass of wine is is his full 20 percent of a calories of, if you will of, antioxidants <laughs> <laughs> so he, he does like red wine so that will be his dinner and then he'll do it again but he will cook something different every day i'm very stable so you ask me i have sa- i cook four salmon burgers at dinner i will eat one at dinner usually two at breakfast and one at lunch and then I'll have you know something vegan at lunch in addition so that's that's a typical on a on a weekend I'll have a at dinner this is crazy right I'll have an egg white veggie omelet Mm -hmm. at 4 p.m. as the last meal so that's the only thing I change on weekends if you will so I love what I, you know, you've got to love what you eat. Speaking of your routine, you're,
0: you're going strong. You're 72. You, you never stop. I don't even know how you do it. I know you always have a cup of coffee in your hand, but. <laughs> <laughs> Co- coffee if you're fast metabolizer, it makes you younger yeah it's impressive so how how do you live your life what's your routine
1: that allows you to stay so vibrant and looking young and barely having any gray hair at 72. well the key is having a great partner so my wife is magnificent wonderful and uh so that's the what i consider the key is having friends I'm, and
0: i saw a beautiful quote that you gave uh, on on an article that was about you and how you live to be, want to live to be a hundred is you wake up every morning and you kiss your wife. That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) First (laughs) thing. That's a very good thing. Um, so great partner and that helps me manage stress. So I do do six minutes of deep breathing morning and night as my meditation, if Mm -hmm. you will. So that's part of my life. No, no tobacco, obviously. But then, um, if you will, I, I don't go to bed. You can look at my pedometer. I don't go to bed. I don't know if you can catch it on, uh, so Bill is a superb cameraman. I don't know if he can catch this, but this is yesterday. You see, I just made 10,000. 10, look at that. This is the day before I just made 10,000. This is the day before. I don't go to bed without 10,000. No. So if I'm close, I get 10,000 steps. And you, and you basically have a desk I've seen it in your office where you're on a treadmill
0: on the phone, on conference calls where you're doing your work. It's like the slow <laughs> treadmill. You're just going to walk.
1: All right so old. i can i can uh, if you will i i um t- write at 1.7 miles per hour two degrees i type at 1.8 i read at 1.9 and you can do conference calls at 3.3 3 miles per hour so i do that routinely so you might but, be breathing heavy <laughs> <laughs> well the the problem on that is is, is if you're doing noise. that is if you forget you're on the treadmill which if you get An excited part of the conference call and want to you know say something important and you forget you're on the darn thing you get flipped out pretty fast (laughs) so you gotta have a gotta have a chair at the end of the treadmill to catch you but so I I get to do my passion during the day, Mm -hmm. which is helping Cleveland Clinic employees and Cleveland Clinic patients and Cleveland Clinic, if you will, we spread it wide to our communities and to other companies get healthy. So Mm -hmm. I get to do the wellness program. I get to see patients a couple days of the week in executive health and in the premier program, which I love doing. Um, And then I get to spread this and get to do shows like yours, which, you know, it's as good as it gets to be with you here. Well, you really, um, you really love what you do, and and, you're- and one of the joys of being at the Cleveland Clinic is that the other people are so good. Yeah. I had a patient last week who had a rare disease and believe it or not there's a guy who specialized who knew more about that than anybody else in the world yeah. and that's typical yeah. if you find a person with a problem you can find someone who knows more about that and who's dealt with that more than just about anyone else so it's a joy to be here and you know i refer you patients too when yeah. they get too complex yeah, you I, get them <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right i uh, i worked at Kenny ranch for years which is a health resort so i used to call myself a resort doctor the doctor of last resort <laughs> 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 so um one of the things you've done, which is remarkable, uh, is to come into a place which is one of the best hospitals, healthcare systems in the world, but it's focused on acute care, like the sickest of the sick. And you said, wait a minute, you know, with the leadership of Toby Cosgrove, who's a former CEO, that we need to rethink healthcare and we need to rethink how we're going to deal with our own employees? Because now there's what a hundred thousand employees and families as part of Cleveland Clinic that are self-insured.
1: Hundred nine thousand, but who's counting? <laughs> You're always good with the numbers,
0: and the. The remarkable thing is you you took a problem that seemed insoluble, which is dramatically rising healthcare costs within businesses and companies and organizations like Cleveland Clinic and with uh, very difficult to change behaviors like diet and exercise, smoking, stress, and you implemented a program here, which is a, really a national example of what can be done around creating wellness and organizations. So. Can you share a little bit about how that came about and
1: what you did and the results that
0: happened as a result of that? Because I think it's it, an inspiration.
1: It, well, you couldn't do it without great leadership. So Toby Cosgrove and now Tom Maholovich, who is into it even more, have been the leaders, and they kept, if you will, the financial guys at bay for a while because it took a while for this to show a return on investment. So we we knew from the Medicare database studies that we did, that if you did five behaviors, you decrease your risk of chronic disease over the rest of your life from age 40 to 50 for the rest of your life by 90%. And since 80% of all medical costs are due to management of chronic disease, you can really change that. So we went to our employees and Toby said, just pay them, if you will, we're a capitalist society, pay them to stay healthy as well as make some environmental changes and culture change. Mm-hmm. So we made the culture change, which is really important. Um, so we're down from 15.4% of people smoke to under 5%. We're down, we're, in fact, 43.6% of our employees now have, if you will, the, what we call six normals we changed the behaviors into, if you will, outcome measures that we could measure by, and the employee would go with a piece of paper to the primary care physician and say, where am I on these six normals? And then- was blood pressure, blood sugar- Blood pressure, blood sugar, or hemoglobin A1C, body mass index, LDL, cholesterol- Um, cotinine, which is tobacco end products, and then are they managing asthma? We've learned that managing stress is more important when we've worked with other corporations, so we're bringing that in now. But in fact, if you get those six normals in the nurse's health study, you decrease chronic disease by 90%. In the Swedish men's study, by 87%. But only one percent of the Swedish men did it, and only four percent of nurses did it. We're at forty-three point six percent. If you so how go. did you do that? And then, do you well, it wasn't me. You know, it was the employee health plan team, Bruce Rogan and Paul turpelek and David. Well, you did, Power. But you guys
0: did something unusual. You actually gave people financial incentives. So right, in other words, so, they got more money
1: back from their health insurance in other words they have to pay the premium well right? in the obamacare which we you and i and dean ornish lobbied on together um and we we hit um, we hit 66 senators you know republicans democrats we got everyone if you will, well covered and and the point was that if you have money if you can reduce your premiums by 30 percent We're now at $1,440, goes back to a family of four if they get six normals. They save that, they work at Cleveland Clinic for 30 years, it means $200,000 extra retirement. Wow. So it's a huge amount of money, if you will. That doesn't even include co-pays and being healthier and not having to take time off, et cetera. But in fact- More productive. More productive, in fact, yes, the whole thing. Um, But we did it by focusing on those six normals, normal blood pressure, normal LDL cholesterol, normal body, it isn't even normal body mass index, it's just not in the obese range. Um, no cotinine, greater than secondhand smoke, etc. But if you he, offered smoking cessation programs, weight loss we offered, programs,
0: exercise classes, yeah, so, so gym there,
1: memberships. I mean, there was a lot of things we are, that seemed we, to be
0: a cost center, but actually ended up saving... What hundreds of millions of We've dollars? We save c-
1: the the CFO will say we have not spent. I have to put it in. We have not spent six hundred and sixty-five million so far. hundred and sixty-eight million in the last year for the hundred and one thousand, and that doesn't include the employees have gotten well over a hundred million. I calculated around two hundred million in reduced premiums in addition. So it's a so win-win for everybody. It's a the win-win. Patient pays less. The organization pays less. And and the government, if you will, we're healthier so we can serve other people with more vigor. And in fact, it it is, um, you know, I'll say one one funny thing when we were writing the the book, What to Eat When, um, it's hit me. We don't serve meals after 3 p.m. in most of our restaurants. We do it perfectly. at win-win. It's true. I went over to the, the new uh, food emporium. and I was like, I want to have dinner. I'm like, well, there's nothing left. I'm like. <laughs> no, they stop at 3 p.m. So it works. But in fact, that wasn't. I, we didn't know about that at the time. But in fact, um, so by motivating the employees and giving them programs, we are saving, you know, if you just replaced our nurses And didn't have to when they're not sick so we have reduced the what we call unexpected sickness days from 1.07 percent to 0.77 percent that 30 that 0.3 percent if all you did because we got so many nurses that would pay for the entire program um we and that says us docs and administrators are useless so all it is is replacing the nurses so in fact um over time the program i mean it's a huge pay for itself yeah. and so we've spread it so one of the companies we spread it to is another health care organization that took 11 of their hospitals and didn't do it and 10 that did it they're saving 32 percent in the 10 that did do it they can't actually believe so it's kind it. of a
0: no-brainer why isn't this being done all across the country and Various organizations. How, how
1: easy was it to to convince those um, senators? Even after we convinced them, yeah. a bunch wouldn't vote for it. Even after well, they, they were, said they, you're right. Well, they were into it. I think it just got <laughs> on the cutting room floor. You know. So, so in fact, um, there is a great benefit to this for society. If we did this, if Medicare did this for everyone in America. You could pay every Medicare recipient. The same percentages did it for Medicare. You know, 69% participate and 43. Some percent get normal. You could give every Medicare recipient $2,000 more per year, huge amounts, more than 10% of their average take-home for the Medicare population. And save the government between three and four hundred billion a year so what you're advocating is exactly what we should do um you and i know that if you will um and uh so as you know i'm science based and so yeah. that's what uh it's amazing. the amazing data is there the data is there okay so knowing everything you know
0: and being in this space for a long time if you could change something in terms of health health care or environment or society and you were king for a day, and you had autocratic power, could do anything you wanted, what would be the thing or things that you would focus on to make the
1: most difference? I'd focus on getting people voluntarily, as we do, giving them big enough incentives. You know, the RAND study on wellness says incentives doesn't work, except there's an asterisk, I think it's on page 36, which says, unless they're large. Well, healthcare costs enough that we can make you know, you flat instead of causing, if you will, income inequality, if you stop having an increase in, in medical costs, you all of a sudden make income much more equal. Yeah. because the lower level employees get much more of that benefit, if you will. So in fact, I would say, let's offer large incentives and have a cultural revolution like we had in World War II. Everyone pitched in in World War yeah. II to help the country win. We should in fact all pitch in to have everyone stay healthy and that reduces our budget deficit tremendously. If you do it for, just imagine veterans and Medicaid as well as Medicare and all the government employees, you have a tremendous budget, if you will, dividend that you can then make society much better. So that's what I would do and I'd close all the restaurants after 3 p.m. So pay people to be well pay people to be well, yeah. and you, you, because of medical costs, you, you know, we could shut down uh, a number of the Cleveland Clinic yeah. hospitals if well, did we did that.
0: Well, uh, We were talking about this uh, in terms of a project we're working on at Cleveland Clinic and other people around the country of food pharmacies, where you actually give people free food, three meals a day, two meals a day, whatever, and you see Make the cost go down by 80% in right.
1: diabetics. Right, you know? no, 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 uh, food is so key and both what, avoiding the sugar, the making and making sure that you don't have simple carbs, added syrup, simple, if you will, sugars. Starch and sugar, yeah. And also making sure you eat early enough. When you eat is important because you become free diabetic as the day goes on. So you're absolutely right, you know. Pharmacy is a great name for a podcast. I'm envious as heck.
0: (laughs) It's all right. So anyway, Michael Roizen, Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic, former chief wellness officer, rabble rouser. New book book? is What to Eat When, which you should all go check out. It's uh, full of scientific information and great practical guidelines on how to actually eat according to your metabolism, which is what we all need to do. And uh, I really hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I think it really matters. Uh, If you like, this podcast please share with your friends and family on social media if you've liked it leave a comment or review we'd love to hear from you and we will see you next time on the doctor's pharmacy